0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. Let his spirit again touch us today. The book of Proverbs, chapter 14 and verse 12. From this one passage of scripture, I'm going to take my text and then turn our attention to the book of 1 Samuel. And we'll just hang out there a little while. And ask God to touch us this evening. Amen. I don't think we'll waste time if we're in his word. Do you? Amen. Praise God. The book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. The Bible says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way which seemeth right unto, unto a man, but the end, that's what we got to be worried about. That's where our concern should be, is the end. Is this going to work in the end? And from this passage of Scripture, I just want to borrow those five words, a way that seemeth right, a way that seemeth right. And you can be seated. Amen. It's good to be in church tonight. Many years ago, Brother Mooney was preaching one of our district meetings at the campground. I don't remember specifically which one. But I remember him telling a story about, about getting lost or at least confused in his directions, and got a little turned around, and he said, for some reason or another, it just seems like that when we def- figure out that we are going the wrong way, we speed up and drive, fa- <laughs> drive a little faster and, uh, so that we can get where we're not going, I guess, sooner. And sometimes that is the way of man. That is the way of man. If we think we may be wrong, sometimes we, instead of backing out and asking the Lord to help us, we just kind of lean in and try to do it our own way with another seeming renewed sense of gusto. That just seems to be a human trait, maybe not in everybody all the time, but I think from time to time, we can find ourselves there. When it doesn't work, we just try a little harder. Someone once said that Uh, There's nothing more frustrating than doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If we keep doing what we've always done, we're probably going to keep getting what we've always gotten. It's been said that some people will only learn from the school of hard knocks. And I could say that I feel like I've met a few of those people. But I also think that I've met that guy in the mirror a few days myself. It just seemed like that somehow or another the path of least resistance, but I just won't take it in some areas. Can I get a witness? Amen, Amen. we've all been there. The Old Testament um, shows clearly that many, many times the children of Israel, I know that we certainly talk about this a lot in January, February, and March, seemingly. When we start reading the Bible again, I just get amazed again at how the children of Israel, God is working miracles, signs, and wonders. And in the midst of all that immeasurable doubt and unbelief and murmuring and complaining, Moses, you would think, would have a forever bronze statue somewhere, wouldn't you? I mean, they're facing imminent death. He holds a rod over the sea. They walk across on dry ground. That would be enough, except that the Lord allowed the waters, that same water, to come and drown and destroy their enemy. You would think that he would be in the Hall of Fame instantly. But he was only there for a little while. And then the bitter waters of Mara came along, and you would think that surely by now they are convinced this is absolutely, but it just didn't work that way. Because there is a way in man that seemeth right. A way that seemeth right. I want to turn our attention to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to be reading a lot of verses tonight, a lot of scripture, but there's nothing wrong with that. Brother uh, Johnny James one time was asked why he quoted so many scriptures. He said, but that way I at least know people got something from the word of the Lord. (laughs) And so if I fail you tonight in some way, we're going to just read a lot of scriptures, and that should create enough feathers at the bottom of the nest that we'll leave here fed. How's that? The Book of First Samuel four and one. The Bible says, "And the word of Samuel came to all to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched at Aphek. And so to say, if you know anything about the history of of Israel and the and the and Philistines we know that for sure that they had a very acidic relationship and that would probably be the understatement of the year there was fighting and infighting and battles all along the way and now we come to this book first Samuel four and we find them again in another armed conflict now this is not arm wrestling where somebody just gets their ego bruised at the end of the day This is a very, very serious thing because before we conclude this message tonight, tens of thousands of people will have lost their life in these epic battles. So where we're approaching tonight and where we're going to walk, it's going to be impossible to walk without having the blood of man on the bottom of our shoes because this is a very, very serious thing, a way that seems right to man. We can't go by how it feels because sometimes our feelings can be wrong. No matter how much of a sense of direction some of you may be blessed with, there are, there are times in your life when you think you are facing west when you are indeed not facing west. And so we cannot trust our instinct. We cannot say, well, because we have done this before or something like this before, then if this worked, this or that worked last time, it ought to work this time. We need to seek the Lord every day for his anointing to be upon our lives. The Bible says, "When David said, order my steps in your word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. What a powerful prayer to begin our day with to say, Lord, help me today and anoint me today and guide my steps. And so we find them in this armed conflict. We're going down to verse number two. The Bible says, and the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel when they joined the battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. A Tremendous slaughter. So it didn't go too well for Israel. And just to again, to say the least, we've got 4,000 men that have lost their lives. And in verse 3, the Bible says, And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hands of our enemies. So that sounds like a plan. We're going to get the ark of the Lord. We're going to have God's presence in we'll bring it, we'll get it out of Shiloh, we'll bring it to us, and when it comes among us, this alone is gonna be our insurance policy, and everything is gonna be all right. Someone suggested we better get God on our side. We better pull God into this equation. Going down to verse number four, the Bible says, so the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubim's, And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. Verse number six, the Bible says, And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And then an interesting line, and they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. I mean, there's 4,000 less people in their army. What in the world would they be shouting about? It seems like we would hear crying and murmuring and weeping and wailing of all the lives that have been lost, but we hear shouting coming from the camp. And so, Israel. When they got the camp, when they got the ark of the Lord rather back into the camp, they got all excited. This is going to surely solve our problem. Their enthusiasm was so loud that the enemy heard them. Most likely, I'm thinking from the last line, the Bible says of the Philistines that they came to understand that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. I'm just surmising here that they sent spies, perhaps, somebody peeking through, somebody trying to figure out what meaneth. All of this rejoicing. Why would they be rejoicing on the heels of such a great slaughter? Amen. And so now in verse number seven, the Bible says, And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Can you follow me now? I can appreciate the fact that I've had a little more time today to read these scriptures than perhaps you have. You're probably still trying to shake out the aroma of your day out of your garment, but just stay with me here. Can you see the bouncing back and forth? I mean, we're going to go into battle. We're going we're to take this. We're God's children, and we're going to be able to slay the enemy, and they come home with a 4,000-body death count. Now they're sad. They're disillusioned. They can't imagine what has happened And somebody said, let's go to Shiloh, get the ark, and bring it back. Now they're rejoicing. And that's what's going on in one camp. The Philistines, on the other hand, they're getting ready to go into battle. And they go into battle. And do they ever battle? They win the battle. They come home. They've got notches on their belt. They've got something to brag about. They've got something to talk about. I believe they're sharing war stories around the campfire. I don't think that's too far-fetched. Man, you should have been there. Did you see that one guy? Did you see this? Man, there I was. And on and on and on the stories go. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of their rejoicing, they hear somebody rejoicing even greater. And then they realize that the ark of God or the ark of the covenant is in their camp. And so the emotions of each of these camps of men are all over the map. From fear to rejoicing from rejoicing to fear and on and on. The Philistines are scared and they got a right to be. They remind themselves of the incredible things that God has done to and through and for the children of Israel. No doubt fear is creeping into their heart when they start recounting the stories of the times that God has been right there with the children of Israel hey, this is God's elect. This is God's anointed. Don't you think some of those men are looking at other of their friends and peers and saying, do you think we have thought this through? Is this really right? There's a way that seemeth right to a man. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter number four, now going to verse number nine, the Bible says that in the camp of the Philistines that someone stood and said, be strong. And quit yourselves like men. Oh, you Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Now, we don't know who this nameless or this faceless individual was, but somebody, someone stood up and called the attention of these men and quieted their fears. Somebody stood got the attention, no doubt, with a booming voice and said, you need to be strong. And you need to quit yourselves like men. Oh, Philistines, you got to understand, we're not going to be servants to the Hebrews like they have been to us. You need to quit yourselves. A little King James language there. You need to quit yourselves like men and be fight. Now, if we were to put that in our language today, we might just say, hey, you need to man up. Or... If for some chance, for some reason, that Brother Danny Newbern ever got the microphone again, he would say, don't be a wimp. Amen. You're gonna have to just suck it up. You're gonna have to face this like a man. And a little inside joke there for some, I'm sorry about that, but we're just gonna have to stand a man up. We're gonna have to rise to the occasion. Now, the scripture doesn't define this person, but evidently, He was the right man for the job. The Bible says in chapter four, verse number 10, and the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent and there was a great slaughter. I mean, there's already been a great slaughter, but there was an even greater slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. Wow. There is a way that seemeth right to a man. Now we got 34,000 graves. We got 34,000 men. But verse 11 says, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. This is cutting very very close here. Now we're not talking about nameless and faceless individuals. We're talking about sons of the priest. They killed 30,000 men. Captured the Ark of the Covenant. Now this is not too shabby for a group of men who just a little bit ago were wondering, what are we going to do? We have heard what God has done for Israel. Am I right? We've heard of what God has done for Israel. Somebody stands and says, hey, we got to cast this Fear out of the camp, we got to do something about this. We don't want to be slaves to them like they've been slaves to us, and so we're going to have to quit ourselves like men, and we're going to have to go into the battle. And boy, do they! Thirty thousand men, the Ark of the Covenant, the the Eli the priests' own sons. So here's, I suppose, what we could take away from some of this tonight. I think perhaps the the facts may be straightforward, or it seems straightforward to me. That Israel was beaten by the Philistines. And they kind of blamed God for this. They grabbed the Ark of the Covenant and said, Well, what we need is the Ark a little closer to us. And so we'll just go get the Ark of the Covenant out of Shiloh. We'll bring that. And surely this will be enough. But it wasn't even close to enough. Because they didn't just lose 4,000. Now they've lost 30,000 and the Ark of the Covenant. You see, there is a way that seemeth right to a man. I don't wanna just weary you with that tonight, but this this is the crux of what we're talking about, that we can think this will work and we can do it within our own power amen we can just if if the service is not moving let's just sing the song a little faster if the service is not moving let's just turn up the pa a little bit louder if everything is not going let's just kind of transition up the key of the song and maybe just somewhere along the way we'll break this of our own power of our own abilities but can i tell you there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death And so I say, Lord, there should never be a day that I think I've been doing this long enough that I've got it figured out and we can handle this. Amen, history tells us that that this coming summer we will be having church here on this property for 78 years, but do you know that's nowhere near long enough for us to think we got it from here. That's nowhere near long enough to say, hey God, if, you, if you're if you busy Sunday, we've been through this enough times that we've memorized the songs and we know the lesson and we know how to get through it. No, no, no. There's a way that seems right to a man, but I can tell you, you'll never feel so feeble as when God just steps out of your life. You will never feel so frail as to when God just says, I'll let you feel what this really weighs. I'll let you find out how much this really will dig into your shoulder. There's a way that seems right to a man. I'm going to tell you today that we'll never do it long enough that we don't need the power and the presence and the anointing of God. It will not be the decor of a Sunday school room that will plant truth in the heart of a child. It's going to take the anointed lips of a teacher. It's going to take the dedicated life of someone that says, hey God, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. A way that seems right. Amen. You see, we have to pray ahead of time. You need to cast those seed ahead of us. Israel got in trouble and then they said, I know what let's do. Let's go get the ark. That ought to work. And so sometimes our antics can be just that, antics. Our prayers can be just antics. Let's praise the Lord. We we know what that means, right? You've been around a little while, you know, clap your hands. Let's everybody praise the Lord. And we know if we just give it about 20 good seconds. We'll move on to the next order of business. I'm not mowing too low to the ground, am I? Amen. There's a way that seemeth right. But there is, it's, it's that frailty of man. We've got to have God in our midst. We've got to have his presence. Amen. We needed God. We need God every day. We needed God yesterday. But we need him more today because it's a new day. And I'm going to need him even more tomorrow. I'm going to, if God tarries, I'm going to need him even more next week. I need the power and the presence of the Lord in a way that seemed right to men. Amen. You see, the Lord blesses us when we're doing it his way. But if we want to do it our way, he'll let us do it our way. And the Lord's let me hold the heavy end for a little while. He has. Amen. And so you know what that feels like. And so when those military efforts were the ones that God directed Israel to, they were winning. But you can't just go start a fight because you want to fight and think God is just going to jump in our nonsense. I mean, there's no indication anywhere in Scripture that God directed them to go to war, amen, with the Philistines at this particular time. They were enemies, of course. Actually, the Philistines were supposed to have been destroyed. If we just want to go way back and get it all right, the Philistines should have been destroyed a long time ago. But because they failed to do what God had commissioned them to do, they're still fighting age Old battles. Can I pause here and ask all of us, including me tonight, are there things that we're still fighting right now because we didn't put it to death years and years ago? We left a little seed. We left a little here, a little there. It won't hurt. It don't matter. We explain it all away. Sam Saul said, well, what would it matter if we just take Agag? What would it just matter if we take the king? I'll tell you what matters if you take the king. When you brought the king, you brought the seed. And when you bring the seed, you bring the heart. amen that's what's wrong and so we got to utterly destroy that utterly destroy that amen so because of their disobedience they were still troubled by the Philistines on a regular basis they decided to go to war we just go to war we don't really need to talk to the Lord about this but it didn't end well because they left God out of it they just assumed that God would bless them because they were doing what they thought was the right thing Perhaps there's a reason that the Lord had not told them to fight. If there was, Israel didn't know it because they didn't ask. They just kind of headlong, their way, my way, seems right. We know there was a prophet in the land. But we read nowhere where they sought advice from the man of God. Amen, they just went to battle. And because of that, they lost. And as bad as it was, it just felt like, well, the Lord let us down. Amen, man you ever felt that way? We went in, did our own thing, it didn't work out all right, we wonder, hey Lord, where were you? Why didn't you support me? Now they feel like the Lord owes them some help, so they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. They think well, this will be a great idea, but you see, If you if you read historically, the ark rarely went into battle. There were times, on a few occasions, that the Lord specifically told them to take the ark of the covenant into battle. But the vast majority of the time, the ark stayed on the other side of the battle line, and just the blessing of the Lord went with them. And so they're just kind of doing this their own way. Are we finding ourselves here? Are we finding ourselves here at all? Anywhere that sometimes we just say. Because we know this should work let 's just do it this way let 's just let 's just do this let 's sing this song let's let 's read this verse, but you see God, he knows the plan and he knows what we need for this hour. God knows what we need for this evening service, and so we need at any place we could come and just open the Bible and read a few passages of scripture but it means more to me than just that I think it means more to most than just that we need to find the will of God for this evening because the Lord I don't know who's going to be here tonight but the Lord did I don't know the condition of the hearts of those that are going to be here tonight but the Lord does and so I need to get with the man who already knows it ahead of time and say Lord what would you have me speak because there's a way that seems right to a man 30,000 men in the second battle slain because you see the Lord was not interested in being brought into a fight that he didn't want so he continued to withhold his blessings amen now, this wasn't the Lord punishing Israel. We don't need to think that. They're punishing themselves because they're going without God. But sometimes when we're used to a kind of a steady flow of the blessings of God and then all of a sudden God takes His hands off, it can feel mighty strange. Now, the, the Lord, I think we should understand the power of God and the presence of God I think is something we should always hallow. I spent several weeks teaching on the Lord's Prayer recently and I do it every few years but But a part of the Lord's prayer is hallowed be thy name. Holy, reverent, respected be thy name. Everything that happens in the course of a service, it ought to be to hallow the name of God. Not to showboat, not to try to prove us right and somebody else wrong. The Lord is not our trophy that we set up here and we pat on the head and this is our God. No, no, no. Amen. The Lord was not interested in that at all. He's not something to be on display. God in our lives is not something that we possess so that somebody else may think we're super spiritual. Amen. Amen. God is God. and We should always reverence Him and Respect his power and presence. I want to turn now to 1 Samuel 5. The Bible says, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. The Philistines. Now they've got the ark of God. (laughs) So now what are we going to do with it? They've killed 30,000 men. They've got the, the lives of the priest's sons. And now they have the ark of the covenant. They find themselves the winner of the battle and the new owners of the Ark of the Covenant. I suspect, I strongly suspect they didn't know what to do with it. And we got it. We're cheering. <laughs> but when they start marching back home, you ever had something like that? No. No, what are we going to do with this? It'd be like winning a big 12-foot entertainment center. When you get through rejoicing, you're going to ask yourself a serious question. Where are we going to put this? What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? And so they'd never been in this position before. Now, they'd won a lot of battles, so they knew how to rejoice. They knew how to be a winner. But they had never been the owner of the ark of God. And so they knew what it was. And they knew that it was special. And they knew they had to do something with it. So they did the only thing they could think to do with it. And so lest you think they're being disrespectful, I think the Philistines, when they took the ark of God, they brought it to the house of Dagon. And they set it up by Dagon, their God. But let's keep this in context. The Bible says that they, in verse 2, that they... Put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of their God, Dagon. Now, this no doubt seemed like a good idea because the Philistines were used to multiple gods. So this made probably perfect sense to somebody in the camp. And let's let's just take it to our church and we'll just set it up by our God if we're putting that in our language. So it didn't seem like a problem to just have one more God or one more artifact, one more piece of furniture. We'll just set this here. And we'll put it by Dagon, our God. I don't know what time of the day it was, but when they turned the lights out and left for the day, the Bible says in verse three, and when they have asked God, arose early on the morrow. Behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord, and they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And so they're they're they got to be curious. They got to be wondering, <laughs> did we? Knock him over? I mean, who was there? Maybe somebody got scolded for not being careful, but here's Dagon laying down. So they stand him back up. There's no indication at all in this scripture that they understood anything about what is happening right here. It's just been an accident, an oversight. Somebody didn't report this. They pick him back up, set him in his place again. Then the Bible says in verse number four, almost sounds like verse number three, and when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Except now there's a little more to the story. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Now if the Philistines were somewhat puzzled day one, they have really got to be perplexed now. They're unprepared for what they're about to see. The head and the hands were separated from the body. Now, I'm just going to tell you what I think. I believe that God was teaching the Philistines a powerful lesson about his deity. There is one deity. There is one God. Amen. They started realizing their mistake because Dagon wasn't just laid over, but it was laid over at the ark of the covenant. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen. They start realizing their mistake. They start understanding. Wait a minute. This is not just a trophy. This is not a statue. This is not something that we're gonna look at and brag and boast and polish, but God is a living God and there is no other God like him and there is no other God before him and no other God after him and no other God beside him. Amen, we're gonna have to do something about this Ark of the Covenant. It seemed like a treasure the other day, but now this doesn't seem like a treasure at all. Verse number five, but the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod and he destroyed them and he smote them with em- emirads, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. Now the Philistines are receiving quite an unorthodox persecution or punishment from the Lord and this is a mixed audience so if you don't know what emrods are then you need to look it up on your own time but it was indeed a very, very serious perplexing curse that God had put on them. This was nothing that they were gonna be able to deal with lightly. Verse number seven, and when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. Amen, now they've got the trophy. Amen, this is almost like a soap opera, isn't it? The camera just keeps switching from one scene to the other, from one scene to the other. One time we're happy, now we're sad. The other camp's happy, now they're sad. One's mourning the loss of the ark, one's rejoicing the, the gain of the ark, and now they're saying, we've got to get this thing out of our house. we got to get rid of this thing because God, the, the Lord God of Israel, is judging us, and he's judging Dagon, our God. Verse number eight, and they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them. And they said, what shall we do? They called this holy or unholy convocation. Amen, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. We're gonna send this baby back home. (laughs) And they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. And it was so, That after they had carried it about, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great. They had emeralds in their secret parts. God had not taken this lightly. He had smote them severely. You see, when, when problems come, and they will, the answer is not to put God out of your life. I can promise you that. Amen. When, when peril and pain come our way, don't stop coming to church then. Amen. If you ever needed to be in the house, of, that's when you need to be in the house of God. And that's when the devil's going to tell you to stay home. That's when the devil's going to say enough is enough. Throw in the towel. But it's at that time we better say, I got, if I've ever needed the Lord before. Amen. The old song says, if we've ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. We got to get him in our presence. Amen. We've got to get him in our presence. First Samuel 6 and 1. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. I think it's safe to say they were not enjoying the ownership. I mean, you, ever, you ever had something that you thought you really wanted and you just couldn't hardly wait to get rid of it? And so it's hard to figure out which day was the happiest, the day you got it or the day you got rid of it. You know, they've always joked about boats like that. The two best day in your life, the day you buy the boat, the day you sell the boat. There's probably a lot of things that could be inserted into that. They're not enjoying this, so they're getting rid of more. And so the Philistines in verse number 2 called for the priests and the diviners. And they said, what, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith. We shall send it to his place. Tell us. I mean, the burners gotten turned up a little bit. They got the, they've got the priests and they've got the diviners. And so they come up with this plan. Put the ark on a cart and send it back toward Israel. Now let's go to verse 11 of chapter 6. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images of their emrods, And the kine took the straight way to the way of Bethshemesh, and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. So the enemies watching this ark, they want to make sure. <laughs> Somebody's got to turn in a report at the end of the day. I do solemnly swear I saw it leave the camp and so they went to the border of Beth Shemesh, and so they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley and they lifted up their eyes and they saw the ark and they rejoiced they said, oh man the ark of God is back home. and the cart came into the field of Joshua and the and a, a Beth and, and stood there where was the great stone and the clave the wood for the cart and offered the kind as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites, that's important to note, took down the ark of the Lord and a coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on a great stone. And the men of Bethshemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned. Heck, on the same day, everybody's happy. The ark is home because of the sign of the ark of the covenant was the the presence of the Lord, and the Levites were called, and that was the right thing to do because the Levites were those that were to handle the ark, and they used the cattle that brought it, the kind, and they used the wood from the cart, and they made an offering to the Lord right then, right there. Now, that seems to have went well. Had everything just stopped right there, this would be an awesome place to dismiss. Please don't say amen that but this would be a good place to dismiss if we had just stopped right here the ark has been transported back to Jerusalem check they were smart enough to get Levites to take the ark off the cart check everything would have been well verse 17 and these are the golden emrods which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord for Ashdod one, for Gaza one, for Ashkelon one, for Gath one, for Ekron one, and the golden mice according to the number of the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of the fenced cities and of the country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel whereon they set down the ark of the Lord which the stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Beshemite. And he smote the men of Bethshemesh because they had, are you getting this? Verse 19, because they looked into the ark of the Lord. <laughs> What in the world is going on? You did everything right. You brought it back on a cart. You, you gave a sacrifice. You got the Levites to unload the thing. And all of a sudden, in your moment of rejoicing, you think you can do it your way again. And they didn't just touch the ark, but they looked inside the ark. And the Bible says that the Lord smote of the people 50,000 and three score ten men and the people lamented. They can't wipe the tears out of their face in time to start rejoicing. And they can't rejoice in time to start crying. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And the Lord had smitten many people with a great slaughter. The people of Bethlehem just couldn't leave well enough alone. God is in our presence there was clear guidelines, and lest you think God is just kind of flexing his muscles. No, no, no. There are clear, clear guidelines in the law of how the ark is to be handled and how it's to be treated, and the rules specify that only the Levites can handle the ark, but even the Levites have very, very specific guidelines as to how that it has to be handled. So the people of Beshemeth should have known better than to touch it, but they didn't just touch it, they looked into it, and there's one thing for sure and I'm not trying to sound uh, sarcastic at all but there's one thing for sure that is a mistake that 53,070 people will never make because they're gone. So if you kept up with all these numbers what a tremendous slaughter of people. First Samuel 6 and 20 and the man of the Bechamah says who is able to stand before this holy God and to whom and to whom shall he go up from us and they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath jerim saying the ark of the Philistine have, have brought again the ark the Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord come you down and fetch it up to you and I, i'm going to just draw this to a close and and um, ask god to help us just kind of pull this into one central thought so they called for the priests to transport The ark. And so here this evening, I know we've kind of been here and here and here and here. But all of that to say this that all of these people thought they were doing the right thing. The problem is that they were trying to do it within their own strength a way that seemeth right. This seems right. You see, with some things that seem right, some things are just too critical for us to take a chance and roll the dice and hope for perhaps a good outcome. No one could dare get on a plane if right at the door of that plane there was a big sign that said, we get it right 97% of the time. You would so instantly do the math and just wonder if you were in that three. There's just some things we can't afford to gamble with. And I will tell you today that our eternal souls we can't just do what seems right, and this just feels right. This feels good. Because I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my heart. I've got to take this to the Lord. I've got to ask Him because He knows, He knows, and He knows there's a way that seemeth right to a man. I'm going to ask you to stand if our musicians would come. You see, this evening, for the last little while, we've looked at some wrong ways to do things. That was brought to us courtesy of the children of Israel. Wrong ways. Wrong ways. This seems right. But, and I'm not trying to sound morbid. But I'm going to tell you, this stack of body count is proving them wrong. I mean, this seems right. But this just keeps blowing up in our face. Something is wrong. We must have God. We must know that God is with us. Moses, I need you to lead the children of Israel out. Moses made a lot of excuses, but he got one thing right. He said, I I can't do this if you don't go with me. And so tonight, no matter how polished we may assume ourselves to be, we can't do spiritual things with the arm of the flesh. It won't happen. It it won't happen. You can't have church without God. You You can go through the motions but you see, the Bible says that it is the anointing that destroys the yoke. And so we can't have people that truly repent of their sins and are, and are filled with His Spirit through our own means, our own flesh. It will not happen. Because the Lord is the author of what we're doing he's the finisher of what we're doing you see many years ago when this specific building was built as is the case with most if not all this building was just built out of material that you could buy in any building supply but there was a change point and that change point was called the dedication service And we're going to dedicate this building to the Lord. You see, everything that was in Solomon's temple could be found in other places. But what made the difference was the prayer of Solomon's dedication. What a powerful prayer. I've often said that he said, if they can't get here, if they can just look toward it. What a powerful, insightful prayer. Just look toward it. That changed the dynamics of it all. I remember several years ago now when Brother and Sister Arnold had moved into their new building. We were there at their dedication service, and Brother Anthony Mangan was their guest speaker, and he was going to pray the prayer of dedication over their building. He did something kind of unique. At the end of that, he said, I want to pause right now, and if you've given anything to this building that you still consider to be yours, we're going to ask you to come and get it. <laughs> because we're fixing to pray and in our prayer we're going to give it to God and it's no longer going to be yours and so if there's anything here that you think you still have ownership of now's the time because we're fixing to give this to God and this microphone, the mic stand, the pulpit the wood, the concrete, the fabric everything, it's going to be God's we're going to put it in God's hands because we understand that it's just a building if God is not here. It's just a little bit of fellowship if God is not here. But if God is in our midst, chains can be broken. Can I tell you what's happened to me many, many times? I've been in a service. I didn't have to come down the aisle and necessarily get prayer. Nothing wrong with that. It's scriptural. But just in the middle of that service, in the midst of the preaching or the singing, the Spirit of God has just ministered and the anointing has just broken something in my life. Amen. There's nobody in that building that could take the credit for that. Amen. That was the anointing of the Lord. But the Lord said, if you want to muscle your way through this, and if you want to try to do it your way, you're more than welcome. Now, can I just get some just honest-hearted people here tonight? I'm not suggesting that we're dishonest. But if I could just get some honest-hearted people here tonight to say, there have been times I tried to do it my way. Something that should have been so easy. <laughs> it was just a mess. It should have been so seamless, but it was just chaos. And we back up in that moment and say, you know what? We need to get this right. we got to stop. We've got to stop. Amen. I'm going to tell you it had not happened many times, but it has happened. That I've been preaching and just feel like there's just something wrong. Just say, hey, we need to stop let's pray let's ask the anointing of the Lord because you see I'm not the lecturer and you're not the student but this is a holy thing that's going on here he chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost and so we don't need to let the devil circumvent what we're doing Amen. there's a way that seems right and we can just keep forging ahead if we want or we can say you know what Lord the body counts high enough if you're asking me we need to get you on our side Amen. Can you make an altar where you're standing and can we ask God to touch us? Can we ask God to anoint us and touch our minds and our heart, touch our efforts? Lord, they're just frail, feeble, and we're all frail flesh in your presence. But God, if just some way, somehow, you can move in our midst. God, I pray your holy anointing, your blessings, your power, and your presence to be upon us, Lord. Would you allow your your authority to stand among us? I'm not suggesting, God, that we're worthy of it or that we have earned it. But I'm asking you, Lord, to honor the acknowledgement tonight that we cannot do this without you. We are unwilling to try to do it without you. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your authority, your anointing to be among us. Oh God, if we go into a hospital room to pray for someone, it will not be our voice, it will not be the words we say that will make a difference. It will just be your authority, God, that brings healing. If we do anything, God, it's going to be you. If there's any success, we ask you to touch us today, God. Anoint us in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord.